What does it mean to be provided for? To have food on the table, good company by your side, perhaps the ability to depend on and lean into someone else, to let down one's guard and to be held and helped, cherished but challenged. We see story after story throughout scripture of God's provision, meeting people where they are and changing everything. But those glimpses, those change everything about everything moments that knowing Jesus unlocks, they're woven into our stories too. Threaded when in distress, we must desperately depend on God. Bound in those crucibles that require our mindful commitment to boldly believe the real food and nourishment offered us is indeed better than anything else. Thankfully, our good God gave us generously His Spirit to help with the realignment process, to throw out our resource roadmap in exchange for His. So what does provision look like in our lives? Friend, you are in for a treat. I have a friend that asks the strangest questions. Do you have somebody like that in your life who just asks these questions and, and you're like, why would you ask me that question? It was back in 2008, I ran my very first marathon and I did everything wrong in this race. I was overconfident, I was undertrained. That's a bad combination. And the only thing I did right during that run was somehow I finished the race. But I was, it was a mess. My body shut down. It was just, it was a horrible experience. So a few days after the marathon, I was telling some of our friends at our life group about just what a terrible day I had running this race and all the things that went wrong and the funny things that happened to me and just how sore I was, how miserable I felt. And I get done telling this story and this friend of mine looks at me and he goes, well, did you have fun? No. Like, no, I didn't have fun. What do you mean did I have fun? Did you hear the story? It was, I can't even sit down yet on that sore. Like, I didn't have fun. Why would you ask me that question? Well, today we're going to meet a man who was asked a really strange question. We actually don't know his name. We do know where he lived, though. He lived in the city of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. And right there in the middle of Jerusalem was the temple, and near the temple was this pool. And this pool had waters that would occasionally stir up or they would move. And the belief at the time was that those waters were healing. And that whenever the water started to stir, whoever could get in the water first would be healed of whatever ailment that they had. And so that man lived right by the pool. And he set by the pool because he was paralyzed. And he sat there waiting to be healed for 38 years. For 38 years, that man lay by the pool and he tried to get into the water first. And by, for 38 years, that man was disappointed. For 38 years, someone always got into the water first. For 38 years, he sat by the pool looking for hope, hoping for healing, and it never came. Some of us can relate to that man. Some of us know the pain of a marriage that is in desperate need of healing. And for 38 years, you have been waiting for your marriage to be healed. And you're willing, but your spouse isn't. And so you sit by the waters and you wait for healing to come. 
Or for others of us, maybe it's our career. You know, we, we've been waiting for decades and decades for our big break or the right opportunity or just for somebody to take notice of our skills or our talents or our abilities to give us a chance. And for decade after decade, it feels like we've just been disappointed. Or for you, maybe it's your faith. You know, for decades and decades, you have been longing to experience a faith that really would transform you and and bring healing to you, or, or maybe it's a physical healing or mental health healing, but so many of us know what that man has gone through. We have been sitting waiting for hope and for healing to come, and it hasn't arrived yet. And so one day, that man is lying by the pool, like he always did, and Jesus comes up to talk to him. And Jesus asks this man the strangest question. It's recorded for us in John chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up or turn it on to John chapter 5. I'll have some of the, the verses here with me as well. But you can follow along to this incredible story. And we're going to begin in verse 6 where we see Jesus ask this man this strange question. Uh, John records it this way. He was an eyewitness to these events, and he records this for us. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, do you want to get well? Why would you ask him that question? I mean, the man's been lying by the pool for 38 years, hoping to get well. Of course he wants to get well. Why would you ask that question? And somehow it must have set the man off a little bit because he kind of responds in, in a similar way to Jesus. Here's what happens in verse seven. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, yeah, I want to get well. I've been trying to, I can't. That's why I'm here to get well. And I wonder, for you and for me, if maybe Jesus is asking us a similar question today. That maybe Jesus is, is coming to us and, and he's asking, do you want to get well? And maybe he's asking some of these specific questions. Maybe for you it's, do you want your marriage to get well? And you're like, yeah, I want my marriage to get well. I've been trying to fix my spouse for years. That, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to work on the marriage, right? Or maybe for others of us, it's, do you want your family to get well? You're like, yeah, I want my family to get well. That, that's why I'm, I'm having them involved in so many activities. That's why I'm trying to help them. That, that's why I'm trying to do nice things for them or give them experiences. I'm, I'm trying to fight for my family. I want them to get well. Or for others of us, maybe it's our career. Do you want your career to get well? Like, yeah, God, that, that's why I'm investing so much of my time and my energy. And, and I just, I've just given everything I have to this career because I want it to, to get well. Or maybe God's asking, do you want your faith to get well? And you're like, yeah, that's why I'm in church. Like, I'm here because I, I want to get well. That's why I'm listening to these messages. I want my faith to get well. Do you, do you want to get well? And here's the amazing thing. So Jesus asks him this question that is rather strange. I mean, it's almost offensive. And then here's what happens immediately after the man responds to Jesus. Let's check it out in verse eight. It says, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. 
So, so it's like Jesus completely disregards everything the man said, and he says, well, you're cured. And, and so just with his very word, the man who had for 38 years was, was by that pool stood up and for the first time started walking, cured. Which causes me to wonder even more, okay, Jesus, why did you ask him that question? You didn't even listen to what he had to say. Why bother asking him that question if you knew you were just going to heal him anyway? And the reason that Jesus asked him that question is because of this. A great question can be incredibly revealing for you and for me. A great question just kind of cuts to the essence of what something is, and it reveals things. You know, my friend that asked me that question about the marathon and if I had fun, that that wasn't a question because he wasn't paying attention or he was ignorant. The the reason he asked that question was actually very insightful because he's like, Kyle, you run for fun. This is supposed to be a recreation for you. And by asking me that question, even though it was kind of irritating in the moment, it clarified for me, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to be enjoying this. The reason Jesus asked that man that question isn't because he wanted to know if the man actually wanted to get well. He knew that he wanted to get well. It wasn't if you want to get well. The reason Jesus asked that question was to reveal to to what the man was looking to for his hope and for his healing. The reason he asked him that question wasn't to find out if he in fact wanted to be well. It was to reveal to what he was looking for his healing. And what the man was looking at, what, what the man was depending on was the wrong thing. He was depending on other people to help him into the water. He was depending on the water for healing. He, he wasn't depending on the right thing. And I tell you what, I am like this man so often in my life. So often in my life, I will look to the wrong things for hope and for healing. Let me just give you a couple examples of some of those things that I look to. Here's one of them, success. I am a driven guy, like type A, goal-oriented, achievement accomplished. I love success. I love checking things off my list. I love to get things done. I am, I am driven by success. And honestly, I, I often have this temptation that, that wants to look to success for my sense of worth, for my sense of value, I am often dependent upon success. But ultimately, that's the wrong thing to pay attention to. And this summer, I had a moment that just clarified that for me. Uh, We were in Colorado for an event uh, for work, and my family came out for the weekend, and we went up to Breckenridge, up up in the mountains for, for the long weekend. And when we were up there one morning, I got up really early. Everybody else is still sleeping, Steph and the kids are still asleep. And I thought, I'm going to climb a mountain today. And so they're in Breckenridge. There's peak number 10. And I thought, I'm going to summit that mountain. Now, if you've ever summited a mountain, you've experienced something that I learned when you climb up to the top of the mountain. And that is, it is an emotional experience. Like when you, when you get up to the very top, I mean, I, I, walk, I got up there, like the American flag is up there and there's this little plaque that says 13,640 feet. I mean, it's just this, it's like this amazing sense of accomplishment. I, I got emotional walking up there. I mean, it was like this, whoa, like I just, 
I just climbed a mountain, right? So I, I get up to the top of this mountain and there's the flag and it's beautiful. And actually, I took a photo. Here's a, here's a photo of me uh, at the top of the mountain. I wanted proof that I was up there, right? It was like just this amazing experience. And so I'm standing up here at the top of the mountain and I turned around and I just stood by that flag and I looked out over those mountains and I thought, that one over there seems a little bit taller. I, I think maybe next time I need to get to 14,000 feet. I think now I need to get to the next mountain, right? I mean, I, literally, I, I had that thought. I was still out of breath, okay? Like five minutes before, I was worried I might not make it up to the top of this thing. And now all of a sudden, I'm thinking this one isn't enough. I got to get to the next one. Folks, that, that's what happens with success. When we look to success for our sense of dependency, man, it is just never enough. In fact, there's a really wise man who wrote a book. It's in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. His name is Solomon. He has a phrase for this. He calls it a chasing after the wind. When we're dependent on the wrong things like success, it's just like you're chasing after the wind. You never catch it. Here's the second one that is, I'm guilty of that, that often I will look to. I'll look to different seasons of life in terms of my dependence that I've become convinced that my hope and my healing is just based on a new season of my life. You know, maybe you've heard this phrase, um, it's, it's being used a lot right now. And if you use this phrase, I'm not trying to pick on you, but uh, many people will use the phrase, this too shall pass. And, you know, they're trying to be nice about it, but the whole idea behind that phrase is that, you know, once you get past this season in your life or this moment, you know, once it passes, then things are just going to get better because the season changes. And that can be tempting to think about, but the reality is what the implication there is, is that the problem isn't within me. The problem is within this environment or the situation. And the reality is the reason certain seasons of our lives are difficult is because that season reveals that there's something wrong within us, that our dependency is in the wrong thing. And if we don't solve it in this season, guess what happens? We just carry it with us into the next season. And so often I can be guilty of thinking, you know, oh my goodness, like all I need is, is I just need a new relationship to, to solve what's happening within me. I, I, just need a, I just need a new boss. I just need a, a new opportunity. I, I just need to, to have a new house. I just need to have a new family. I just need to have a new, a next, a whatever. And folks, the reality is we can be dependent on the wrong thing. Okay, here's the third and the final one, just, just for me, and maybe this is true for you, religious devotion. Now, that sounds like an odd thing for a pastor to say, but depending on religious devotion can actually be close, but not the right thing, and it can get us into all sorts of trouble. We can have this tendency to assume that if we just do the right religious activities, right, if we just go to church or you know, we read our Bible a little bit, or we say our prayers, or, or we do a charitable work, or, or we give a little bit of money to, to, to a charity or to a nonprofit, that, that somehow God now is, is going to owe us, that, that like, you know, now we've kind of earned our opportunity, that, that God's now going to bring hope and healing into our lives because of all the things that we have done. And maybe we don't ever think about it that way, but that's kind of what the motivating factor of it is. And the reality is, if that's true for us, Listen, our dependence isn't on God in those situations. Do you know what it's on? It's on us. Like we're depending on ourselves to do the activities, to do the things, to make ourselves better. 
so that God will owe us. And so religious devotion can be something that you have to be really careful about because oftentimes it's in the right direction, but it might not be focused on the right thing. And that is actually what we see next in this story. So let's continue with the rest of verse nine and see what happens here. So verse nine goes on to say this. It says, the day on which this took place, this healing of this man was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Okay, little bit of background here about what's going on. Uh, For Jews then and for Jews now, they honor and they follow what is called the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is a day of rest that has been defined or is defined as sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. And during that time, you are to do no work. Now, this is actually a big deal. And the roots of the Sabbath come from God's word himself. It's actually part of the Ten Commandments. So it's a big deal to God. It's like right up there with thou shall not murder and thou shall not commit adultery and thou shall not give false witness is the command that we're supposed to honor the Sabbath. And then according to God's instruction, we are to do, quote, no work. Well, the religious leaders of Jesus' day saw that and they thought, well, you know, God, that's kind of open to interpretation. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to think about what it means to not do any work. And so in order to try to help God out, they put up a whole bunch of additional rules or additional definitions of what it even meant to do work. And so they would define like how many steps you could take and how far you could go and whether or not you could uh, feed certain things or make certain foods. And they even determined that you were not allowed to carry an object from point A to point B because that would be considered to be a form of work. And so that even included a straw mat that's really light. And so all of these rules were put into place and they got so obsessed with these rules and these definitions that here's this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. He's healed in an instant. And these religious leaders are all grumpy with him because he's now walking the wrong way because it's the Sabbath and he's carrying a straw mat on his shoulders. Now, listen, before we get too judgmental about those leaders, here's the thing. We do this too, right? We, we, we do this all the time. Oftentimes, we will take something that is so simple and we'll add just a tremendous amount of complexity to it, right? In fact, consider our own tax law here in the United States. Right? The whole idea behind taxes is quite simply that when you make money, you should give a portion of the money that you make to the government because they're responsible for the infrastructure and you know, providing stability to our nation and that you should just give a portion to them to be able to fund what the government does. And whether you agree with taxes or like taxes or not, that's the simple idea behind it. But that simple idea has become incredibly complicated because then we ask the question, well, what do you mean by income? And what does it mean to make money? And what counts as income? And then does like everybody have to give the same amount? Or what if you have certain situations or circumstances in your lives? Like you have children or you have a couple homes or you live in different states and all of a sudden this tax law gets created that's so complicated that there are literally people whose profession it is is just to navigate the tax law. 
Well, the same was true in Jesus' day. There were people whose profession it was, was to navigate the religious law, not because of what God commanded, but because of all these man-made rules around the law. And that just reveals something that is just, it's just true for you and for me. It's true of human nature. And here it is. It's this, it's this implication that what God commands simply, we love to make complex. What God commands simply, we love to make complex. And the reason for that is because of this. It's because when something is simple, it is clear and it is revealing. And when something is complicated, you can hide in the midst of the complication of it. And so when something is simple and when it is clear, do you know what it reveals? It reveals that on which we are dependent. And when things get complicated, we can hide our dependency. So God says, don't tell a lie. Don't bear false witness. And we say, well, what do you mean by a lie, God? Because we want to be dependent not on the truth, but we want to be people who are dependent on ourselves and making ourselves look good. See, we, we love to make the simple complicated. And that is what Jesus then challenges these religious people next. And it kind of creates a little bit of tension. So let's, let's pick up the story. Here's what happens. So uh, skip down to verse 16. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I am too working, which is interesting. Jesus didn't challenge their man-made rules, but he kind of leveled it up to a whole different perspective. He said, listen, the issue isn't about the man-made rules. The issue is about me and my father and our relationship, which means there's something deeper going on here. And Jesus goes on to say, for this, or the scripture goes on to say, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So what's happening here is Jesus is now getting to the heart of the issue. These religious leaders are now going to be exposed by Jesus because he's pointing out that their dependence is on the wrong thing. Here it is. Skip all the way down a few verses here to 39. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are Jesus' words to those religious leaders. And he's saying, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And then Jesus says to them, I don't accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. I have come in my father's name and you have not accepted me. And then he says, but if somebody else comes in his own name, you'll accept them. He goes on to say, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And then he gets right to the heart of it. He says, but you do not think, but do not think that I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses. Those are fighting words because it was Moses who gave them the law and they considered Moses to be like the highest of all the prophets. And he said, your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. And he said, but if you really believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus comes to them and he says, listen, 
You're focused on the law and you think that that's what's gonna bring you hope and what's gonna bring you healing, but it's not. And do you know why? Because all of those things in the law, in scripture, they actually pointed to me. Because I'm God and I'm here in your midst. And you don't even realize it because you don't have my love. Because the religious leaders were dependent not on God, but they were dependent on Moses and the law and their tradition and their power. And in that way, Jesus is essentially saying to those religious leaders, you're kind of like that paralyzed man. Your hope is in the wrong thing. You are, you are dependent on the wrong thing and you're unable to move forward and receive the healing that I'm here to offer to you. So, so there we kind of have it. There, there's the, the man who couldn't walk and he was dependent on the wrong thing, on other people and the waters for his hope and his healing. And it was the wrong thing. And the religious leaders, they, they were dependent on the wrong thing, on Moses and the law and tradition. And, and it was the wrong thing because it wasn't gonna bring them hope and healing. So here's the question. What was Jesus dependent on? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Well, in this story, he is very clear about his own dependencies. Let's check out this verse number 19. It says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am dependent on God, the father. And that may be just a little confusing for just a moment because we're like, wait a minute, wasn't he just telling the religious leaders that he was God? So, so how is it that he, he's saying to them that he is God, but yet he's also saying that he's dependent on God the Father? And the reason for that is this idea about who Jesus is. And it's really important to our faith to understand this, that, that Jesus was 100% God, and at the same time, he was 100% human at the same time. Now, in theological circles, this is referred to as the hypostatic union. What that means is it means that Jesus embodied in his very nature, both his full humanity and being fully divine at the same time, but in a way that those two things didn't mix together to create something new or something different. And it also means that Jesus didn't transition from one to another. So it wasn't like at one point he's God and then he becomes man and then he goes back to God. It wasn't like that at all. It's that he is, he is fully God and fully man at the same time. Why is that important? It's important because of this. It's because only in Jesus do we see how a human life can be lived completely honoring to God. In fact, only in Jesus can we see what it means to have true life, how to be a real human, the way God designed us and intended us to be. The best life that we can have as a human is found only in Jesus because he's the only human that could ever do it because he was also 100% God. That's what makes Jesus so unique and so different from every other approach to God. And what that means is this, and this is such an important point for us, and here it is, it's that true life is found only only in our dependence on Jesus. That, that true life is found only there. In fact, Jesus says these words to illustrate this. And these, whole, these words are so full of hope and promise. It's John 5, 24. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Folks, has 
not will have, not one day could have, not maybe if you're really good. No, no, you already have it. All right, that we have eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over, listen to this beautiful promise, but has crossed over from death to life. That when we put our dependence, not on ourselves, not on others, not on our situation, but on God and on God alone, listen, we move from death to life. And that is good news. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us healing. We become people of hope. Here at Wooddale Church, a couple of weeks ago, we announced the, the next part of our vision of hope. And that's all about bringing the hope of Jesus here, near, and far. And we want to see people around our communities develop a resilient hope. Because right now, they're putting hope in the wrong things. That They're like that man sitting by the side of the pool, that they're looking and dependent on the wrong things. It's never going to bring them hope. It's never going to bring them healing. And we know eternal life in Jesus, and we have the privilege of bringing it to them. That's why as a church right now, we're in this posture of praying about vision, uh, that that vision, that legacy of hope. Uh, We're we're praying and wrestling with, with what God may have us give financially to help support it. But listen, the thing I want most of all is for all of us to be involved in legacy of hope. And so I, I, if you haven't done so, I want to encourage you to go attend some of our Q&A sessions at our campuses and go to the website, learn more about how you personally can be involved in Legacy of Hope. Because here it is, it's all about helping to share that eternal life with other people. And when we do that, it reminds us that our dependency is actually in Jesus. Okay, so how do we take a passage like this and, and really make it practical for us? How, how practically can we put our dependence on Christ. Well, there's just a few ways that we can do that. Here's the first way. Uh, It's this, is that we need to decide that we're going to follow Jesus. Dependency always begins with a decision. We need to decide that we're choosing to follow Jesus and put our dependence not on ourselves, but on Christ and on Christ alone. There are many people who attend church their entire lives. People talk to them like they're Christians. Maybe they think they are a Christian. They, they, they think they've been a Christian their entire life, but they've never had a moment where they've made a decision to follow Jesus. Have you made that decision? Have you personally made that decision? Do you know when that decision was? Can, can you pinpoint a day or a moment, a season of your life where, where you said, I'm deciding not to be dependent on myself but I'm gonna be dependent on Jesus for my new life. If you haven't done that, or if you're not sure if you've done that, I wanna encourage you to have today be the day that you become dependent on Jesus. Decide today to follow him. And how you do that is just to be honest with him. It's, It's not saying magical words or going through some big religious activity. It's simply just confessing to Jesus, I've been depending on myself. I'm gonna now depend on you. And I'm going to receive your forgiveness and, and, and your salvation. And I'm going to choose to follow you the rest of my life. And in that exchange, you're depending on him and not on yourself. And listen, if, you've, if you're doing that today, if, if today's your day, we want to celebrate with you. We want to know. So at all of our campus locations, just go out to the next step station. And there'll be someone there that would love to talk with you. They'll have a, a little gift. It's a faith starter kit to help you. Or if you would prefer to do this virtually, or if you're watching us online right now, here's, here's what you could do. You go to wooddale.org slash yes, and just let us know that today was the day that you decided to follow Jesus. 
Now, for those of us that have already decided to follow Jesus, here's another way that we can uh, help to, to grow our dependence. It's, it's to deepen our dependence on Christ. And one of the ways that we can deepen our dependence on Christ is just through some spiritual disciplines. In fact, one of them that I've been working on in my own life right now is something called fasting. It's just, it's like where you set aside a certain amount of time to abstain from something. So often it's food or maybe it could be media, uh, but, but you're just going to set certain time aside and, and what you would, the time that you would normally spend or the, the cravings that you might normally have for that thing that you're now uh, intentionally removing from your life from a time, you just use that experience to remind yourself about the need to focus on God. And, and so if you've never fasted before, let me encourage you, try it this week. Pick one meal that you're going to intentionally miss, and when you get hungry, uh, in the hours around when you otherwise would have eaten, just use that time for some time of prayer. Use that as a moment to, to remind yourself that you're dependent, not on yourself, but just as, as your body is dependent on food, so your soul is dependent on Jesus. And use that time to let God reveal to you, is there anything in my life that I've been depending on that's been the wrong thing? It's a great moment. I'm convinced it's a great way to deepen our dependence on Jesus because it makes us more aware of our need for him. And then here's the, the final one I want to give to you today. It's to declare. It's to declare that you have placed your dependence on Jesus. And one of the ways as followers of Jesus we have been doing this is through something called baptism. It's actually something that Jesus initiated. Jesus himself was baptized. And in baptism, what we're doing is we're saying, that we identify with Jesus. That it, just as Jesus died on the cross to cover the punishment for our sins and he was buried under the ground, so we too are, are buried under the water. That's why we do baptism by immersion. You go under the water and then Jesus didn't stay dead. And so we don't stay under the water. And so you come up out of the water having been washed clean from your sins, new life, the life eternal that comes only from Jesus. And here's the reality, you can't do baptism by yourself. You're dependent on someone else. And it's a great moment to just very symbolically say, Jesus, I'm dependent on you for my new life. And so if, if you have accepted Jesus, if you've decided to follow him and you haven't yet declared that through baptism, that's your next step. And today at Wooddale Church, we're celebrating baptisms across our campuses. And it's a great moment for us to celebrate that new life that we have in Jesus. It's a wonderful moment for us as believers to declare our salvation is found only in Jesus and we have life in him and in him alone. It's just an awesome moment. And if you're someone who, who still needs to be baptized or you're ready to be baptized, let me encourage you May 1st, coming up May 1st, that's our next baptism opportunity. I want you to join us. I want you to celebrate. I want you to declare that Jesus is the one in whom you have placed your dependence. And that is wooddale.org slash baptisms to learn a little bit more or to sign up. But declare boldly that you have placed your dependence, not on yourself, but in Jesus. So Jesus comes to us and he asks us this very simple and revealing and kind of awkward question. He says, do you want to get well? And how we respond to that question will help to reveal to what we are being dependent. And I hope that for you, you will find the joy and the hope 
of placing your dependence on Jesus and on Jesus alone. Let me pray for us. Father God, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, thank you that John was there and he witnessed the scene and he recorded it for us. And Lord, you've preserved it so that, Lord, that we, we, can, be, we can be challenged by your word to examine ourselves, to see what is it that we're looking to for our hope and for our healing. And Father, I pray, Lord, that in this moment, we would have an opportunity in our hearts and in our souls to experience the joy that comes from declaring to you that we are dependent on you and on you alone. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.